Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody, and thanks for joining us today. Kim and I are here to talk all things wine with you. How are you today, Kim? I'm great, Mark. Nice to see you. Good remotely see you. still. Yeah, remotely. We're still recording and getting the word out for our listeners what's going on in the wine world. And this week was interesting because Kim sent me a message saying, this is new. We have to talk about it. And Kim being the bubbly queen, she's all over the latest news in the sparkling world. And Kim, why don't you tell our listeners what happened this week? So this is a story that we've been following for about a year now, maybe even a little bit longer. With the popularity of Prosecco and the popularity of Rosé, in 2008, there were a a number of Prosecco producers that came together and said, we need to start producing and selling sparkling Rosé and call it Prosecco Rosé, which was not something that was ever allowed officially before. So it's been a couple of years in the making, but it is finally official. Official. It's been uh, approved by the governing body in Italy. We will now have Prosecco Rosé DOC hit the shelves after January 1 of 2021. So I, for one, am super excited for some pink bubbly that is officially Prosecco. So we are very excited. About that. Yeah, big news. And we did, like you said, Kim, we did talk to the listeners that this was coming down the road and it needed uh, approval from the consortiums there in Italy to get all the things straight and the rules. And we can talk a little bit about the rules. So Prosecco is a uh, protected region. It's a protected sparkling wine. This is only going to be at the DOC level. The DOCG, the higher level and the smaller production of Prosecco is not interested in that uh, making the rosé Kim and I'm thinking it's because there's one uh, grape they have to use for this that the higher level uh, vineyards don't really grow so I'm thinking that's why they're not interested in it they don't want to pull up any of the the Glera grapes maybe for the Pinot Noir grapes is that what you think? Um, I think it more has to do with the higher level of uh, Prosecco producers maybe not wanting to I guess, water down their brand. You know, they don't want to necessarily in, in put anything else out there that might make people question what the quality of their wine is or what their Prosecco is all about. So I'm, I'm thinking that this maybe will be better for consumers because if it is a DOC as opposed to a DOCG, then maybe that will be reflected in the price tag. So it won't be, you know, we're not looking at a $45 bottle of Prosecco Rosé. Hopefully we're looking at a $10 bottle of Prosecco Rosé or a $15 bottle of Prosecco Rosé. So bigger um, production should be less cost. Yeah, so bigger production, um, easy, probably easy drinking, you know, great summery kind of wine. Um, Like you said, the, the grape in there to make it pink will be Pinot Noir, but they still have to include primarily the Glera grape, which is the, uh, the grape that has to go into, into Prosecco, any other kind of Prosecco, it has to be Glera. But they're allowed to use anywhere between 10 and 15% of Pinot Noir that has to be fermented on the skin to get that beautiful pink color. And they're all going to have 
you know, from dryness to maybe a little bit of sweetness and it all has to be a little bit pink. So I'm excited. Yeah. So 85% minimum of the Galera grape and 10 to 15% of Pinot Noir, which they call Pinot Nero in Italy for our listeners. Mm-hmm. To, if they see that, don't be afraid. That is Pinot Noir. And they have been making rosé style sparkling wines in the Veneto region, but they couldn't label it as Prosecco because it's protected. They needed this rule in place. So it, there has been rosés out there. People might be saying, well, I've seen this. It wasn't labeled Prosecco. It was just na- labeled rosé, mm-hmm. sparkling rosé. So now they can do that. And you mentioned uh, the one of the rules, Kim, the sweetness level can go from three grams of sugar to up to 17 grams of sugar. So the whole sweetness level, it must be vintage dated, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I did too. I noticed that, which is different for uh, sparkling wine because often you don't see a vintage on bubbly wine. There's uh, a long, especially, yeah, especially long tradition, the DOC, yeah. yeah, long tradition of it's, putting um, no vintage date on bubbly wines because blending is such an integral part of so so many processes for all of these different sparkling wine producers from all over the world. So interesting that that vintage has to be on there. And I wonder how much of that has to do with you know the freshness level. Uh, but there certainly are ways to store wine for, for years for blending purposes that retain that freshness. But there does seem to be something about Prosecco where people want to get it, you know, bright and fresh and fruity. Yeah. So, yeah. And they must be 85% from the vintage that is dated on the label. So they're not going to have a big reserve hanging around to blend in, which is which is good. And you, you mentioned the freshness. The, there is a rule that the second fermentation must be in a tank instead mm-hmm. of fermenting in the bottle, and it must be a minimum of 60 days yeah. fermenting in the tank. Yeah. So, so there, very, there are strict typical. regulations. Yeah, but for, pretty typical for Prosecco production. So it doesn't look like they're really varying too far from what is necessary and acceptable production practices for Prosecco anyway. So it just sounds like, you know, this is a new style of Prosecco and it's going to be a little bit pink. But as far as that sweetness level goes, that's fairly standard, I would say, you know, anywhere from bone dry to sort of an extra dry style. So yeah, I think that that gives people a lot of information about what uh, what style to expect when we uh, finally start seeing these bottles on store shelves and in restaurants. Yeah. And usually sweetness levels on Prosecco is you just see basically extra dry or brute, more mm-hmm. extra dry on the shelves. Uh, and you I expect mentioned, we'll see the same thing here, either brute yeah, or extra dry. Yeah. They're, all, they're not going to make a whole span that when yeah. it's just released. You also mentioned the release date will be New Year's. Mm-hmm. They say New Year's, but it can't be released until January 1st of the year following the, the harvest. So right. it's not going to be here for New Year's Eve, December no. 31st. It'll be here Valentine's Day, Kim. Yeah. I'll have to buy you a bottle of Prosecco <laughs> Rosé. Don't wonderful. tell your husband. Yeah. And also they add an interesting note that it must appear light pink with a persistent mousse. So mm-hmm. nice foam and, and a color. You know, we've seen this before. We talked about color palettes for Rosé in Provence and France. So they're going to actually probably have a color palette it must follow. And that's all going to be based on only that 10 to 15% Pinot Noir. It can only be so dark from Yeah, that I can't imagine percentage. it's going to be very dark pink. You know, it's going to be a, maybe a salmon color or, you know, just a light pink. Um, it should be pretty. It'll be interesting. So for our listeners, and we'll probably mention it again by the end of the year. So when we see our first bottle, we'll mention it again. We will. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. 
We are your hosts, Kim and Mark. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. For more information about Mark, you can visit his website at franklinliquors.com. And for more information about myself, you can visit my website, vinitaswineworks.com. Welcome back to The Wonderful World of Wine. We uh, are every week we talk about trending topics in the wine world. And there are a lot of interesting and new things that are, I think, important right now, as a lot of people are still trying to uh, socially distance and maybe not go out uh, as often for shopping. Uh, and that has hit the wine world in that we have some information about wine subscriptions and how you can get customized wine deliveries right to your door. You had said to me a couple of weeks ago, Mark, that you're actually uh, taking advantage of some of these wine subscriptions. And I was like, why? You own yeah. a wine store. Why are you doing this? Well, um, so I'm curious to hear your input about your experiences. And it's interesting how they put this too. When you see, usually you see it as a wine club and you and I running our own wine club, we, we weren't selling wine, we were doing tastings and education. So I always get confused when I see clubs and when people hear we have the Franklin Wine Club, they're thinking we're trying to sell a subscription to something, which it's different. So in this article, they said subscriptions. So I guess that's the first thing I wanted to get out of the way is club versus subscription. And then I did recently, because we have the wine club and we're all in quarantine, I wanted people to have a way to shop. So I was searching wine subscription services that we could offer to the wine club. And it brought up a ton of questions I wanted to ask you about it, Kim, is about what you would look for. And maybe you want to tell the listeners what this article was talking about with wine subscriptions. Yep. So this this article was in uh, delish.com, uh, part of their entertaining part of their site. And it really did investigate all of these uh, different uh, companies that would put together a variety of wines for you and then ship them to your home. Some of them were, and these were not individual wineries, which is something that I thought was very interesting because I went into reading this article thinking that it would be about a certain winery that you know, you contact and you join their wine club, like you're just saying the difference between clubs and subscriptions, and then they will ship you, you know, maybe every couple of months, a variety of wines of theirs. But it's not that. Um, it's more like the thing that I kept thinking back that it was like was like having Stitch Fix for wine, if anybody does Stitch Fix for clothing or any of those other sort of subscription, uh, monthly subscription boxes where you get a variety of things and you give a lot of feedback and then they customize and tailor what you're looking for. So there are a number of these groups that will do that for you. Some of them you'll answer questions ahead of time about your likes and your dislikes. Some of them are very focused just on what wines have you liked in the past? What are your some of your favorite flavor profiles? But then other things will ask you questions like how do you take your coffee or what kind of chocolate do you like the best and what's your favorite citrus fruit? to kind of get an idea of what you'll like. And we have a list of like maybe a dozen things here that are slightly different from each other and some are more focused on particular types of wine and then other ones will give you a little bit more of a variety. So I thought it was interesting rundown of a number of different things. Yeah, and I think there's so much information, so much in this article I had to ask you, Kim, and I thought we should share with the listeners. It's hard to know really where to start. First, you mentioned a lot of wineries have their own clubs and it's right. exclusive wines. You can only get it if you're on their list and you can get releases or you can just go on and join and get it's from that winery. So you know the winery, you know their products. With these subscription services, they're asking you information 
to find out what you like to give you to sell you something that they have. It doesn't necessarily mean, and it's probably not from a big winery. It's a second label, so you have to be careful. You have to make sure you like these wines before you kind of really dive into into going full force with them. And there's some big name companies that are on this list. Harry and David was on there. Blue Apron was on there. Mm-hmm. Who there? Martha Stewart is on there. And people are probably familiar with the Wall Street Journal has been doing this for years. So, I mean, there's a lot you have to look at. One of the things I think is key is making sure you know about the wines, Kim. What's, where are they sourcing them from? So you have some sort of reference. Do they offer information on the wines, text sheets on the wines when you get them so you can learn about them? There's some of the services that do that where it's like a learning experience. So you have to, you have to really be careful, I feel. I think that's a great point because when I've investigated, not necessarily these on this list, but some of the other wine subscriptions that are out there, whether it's from a particular publication, which is, I think, where a lot of these started, newspapers and wine magazines, what you're getting is not necessarily the best quality wine out there. Like you said, maybe it's a second label, but I think that there are a lot that because they are proprietary wines and they are wines that are made available only to a particular wine subscription or a wine box club. They're not available for regular purchase through the, you know, the regular purchasing chain like we see. So it's really hard to find information on the quality of those wines because they're only available from one place. They're proprietary and, and they're not releasing that information. So it can be really difficult to even know what you're getting. Is this a good quality wine? How much would it ordinarily go for? You know, if they're charging you the equivalent of say $25 for a bottle of wine and the quality in the bottle really should only be $6 a bottle, you know, there's really no way for you to tell that if it's only being sold through this one club. Yeah, quality, definitely one key point to be careful about. The other thing, Kim, we have to talk to our listeners about is you, you're into, you will want to get a, some wine, you want to get in these subscription services, you have to be prepared because each one of these is a different monthly cost. You have to assume they're going to ship you something automatically every month, every two months, every three months. So it's costly. Is the shipping included? That could be costly. The time of year you're doing this club and getting things shipped, you have to be careful about. And like you said, Kim, you can't find them. So you might like them. Now you're hooked and you have to keep buying it. The key thing I looked at when I researched was, Kim, that you want to be able to adapt your list. So if you don't like something, can you change it? You know, you, you're, they're going to ask you, do you want reds or whites? And they're just going to send you whites. Can you change? You can, can you see what they're going to send you? Can you edit it before you get it? Mm-hmm. So you have to have control over them. Some allow that. Some just say, hey, try this this month. So that is a key point. So I like the ones that they make you take a quiz first. to hone in on what your particular likes and dislikes are. I think that that is smart as as a concept, but I don't know how accurate those are. But it's difficult because sometimes if you're being asked pointed questions about your likes and dislikes when it comes to wine, you might not have the right language or terminology to describe what you like. It's kind of that whole, is it fruity or is it sweet? And what word do you really want to be using to describe the kind of things that you like? So I can see that that might be a little bit of a stumbling block for a lot of people if they're trying to describe what wines they want to get. You know, maybe they don't have the vocabulary to, to make it across to the people on the other side so that they can figure out what it is that, they, that they're really looking for. So that's kind of why I like the, you know, how do you 
how do you take your coffee? How do you like your chocolate kind of thing? Because it makes your tastes be a little bit more understandable. I just don't know how that translates into just does this translate into wines that you like. So I don't know. It would be it would be interesting for me to try one of these and see how close they come to uh, to hitting my my wine like. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. If you'd like to ask us questions or make comments about the show, please uh, find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We're talking about recent article about wine subscriptions, and we've gone through a couple of of points what we felt keys to look for and uh, Kim did you want to um, talk about these price points I, I mean I noticed we mentioned some of the companies that are in here anywhere I seen between 40 bucks to 80 bucks a month three bottles up to six bottles there's some that were 90 bucks a month and a couple like Harry and David they had a, a wine and cheese club mm-hmm. where you can get a, a wine and a cheese so every one of them had their little niche was there anything that stuck out in the list that drew any special attention to you? Um, I mean, there were a couple that were focused more on particular categories. So there's one uh, called Thrive that they say uh, all of the wines in their portfolio are quote unquote clean wines. And we've seen that trending a little bit lately where uh, people are trying to do wines that maybe are are organic or use, um, you know, less sulfites in their production, this whole clean category. Uh, There's one that is associated with the Blue Apron brand, which sends you meal kits, and then you you make a you make a meal from all the stuff that they send you, and so then they have a wine component of it too to match a particular recipe or a particular meal. There are a couple that are focused on support for smaller winemakers, which I thought was was a really uh, neat idea, because especially as we're in the middle of this uh, you know global pandemic, where it, that is absolutely going to affect smaller winemakers to a degree if they don't have workers and it's harder for them to get their, their wines on a shelf because wine stores might be consolidating a little bit. That one is called Naked Wines. And then just, you know, a lot of them that are more based on that ditch fix-like kind of kind of quiz to determine what kind of stuff you like, and then they will uh, send you a variety of things. Yeah, and a lot of these, they pop up all the time, a lot of new ones here and there. Um, you had mentioned the quizzes. I remember doing those those quizzes, and it's pretty much the same basic questions they all ask you. And then now there's ones where there's psalms that are running them, so you can assume that a sommelier is running it, so they know the better wines to pick. There's celebrities that do them. Uh, and, and I looked at all of this, and, and when we were talking earlier, I wanted to pick one where I recognized the brand. So it was almost like a winery that ran its own club, and I went with the uh, John Charles Boisset mm-hmm. collection. So people probably know that gentleman owns Deloche. He owns Raymond. He owns Buena Vista. He owns some very famous, plus he owns a French Burgundy vineyard. So the selection was huge. Plus they make their own private labels. And there was, it was an interesting thing. I figured, okay, let me see what they sell in these clubs and what I can get. And a lot of them did overlap. So I thought, okay, I can taste these because I can get them in a store. And then they have these things where, say they they make Raymond Cabernet, they'll have a family series and they'll have a Vintner series and then they only have one they sell with the club. 
And then I compared it to what I was finding in retail. And the interesting thing was the one in retail was a different label, but the text sheet from the club was exactly the same. Ah, so you're thinking it was the same wine. Same wine, but they market it with a different label saying it's club exclusive, but the wine you can find in retail is the same wine. Huh, that's so there's a lot of things, you know, with the clubs, people have to be open to researching it, but it, I was, I was happy with it. And then what you want to do is you want to, like I said earlier with shipping, they run a lot of specials where, you know, this week free shipping and you have to take advantage of that. Cause if you get six bottles shipped, it can be 40 bucks, 50 bucks, and it can really hit your pocket and it's mm-hmm. taken away from your wine money. So we have a, um, a coffee of the month club thing that we do that is very similar to this, where you tell them kind of like the style of coffee that you like. And then every month they send you a little, a little box that has four different coffees in it from all over the world. And it's just enough for like a half a pot of coffee. And then if you like them, then you can order more of them. Order more. Yeah. And that's been really fun. So I I like that, that there's a wine a wine thing that is similar to, to the coffee one because the coffee one's really awesome. What do you think about someone says, oh, wow, you know, I don't, I don't drink wine. I, don't, I hope they do. But someone's <laughs> saying right now, I don't drink wine, but I think this is a great gift idea. Do you think a wine subscription service is a good thing to gift to somebody? I think it'd be an awesome gift. So you're paying, you have to pay, I don't think you can do just a month. You'd have to do a you whole year. you have to do year. like a six months or yeah. yeah. I didn't see that. As options, when I was looking through some of these clubs, I just saw it was a monthly thing, but I guess you could pick the length of it. Mm-hmm. So I've you, seen, you like I've seen a lot of other like food things that it's that way. So like we, we did a bacon of the month club once. I know there are cheese of the month club things out there and you can usually choose the, the amount of time that you're going to do it for. So what if someone is geeky in wine like we are? and someone gifted you a wine subscription, would you love this idea? Or are you thinking, oh, no. Me personally? On the fence? Yeah. Would oh, you? I, I think I would be, I would be like pleased to pick, with yeah. it. I do like to pick my own wines, true. But I think that um, <laughs> often for me, people are so afraid to give me wine <laughs> because yeah, they know yeah. that I know a lot. And like the last thing they want to do is give me a bottle of wine. I'm like, no, the reason I do wine is because I love it so much and I really want more. So if someone were to gift me one of these, I, I think that that would be a, a lovely gesture. And maybe all of the wines in there wouldn't necessarily be what I would be looking for, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the thought that counts. And there would definitely be some things, I am sure, that I, yeah, would, I would find new tasty favorites. I wouldn't turn it down either. No, me neither. <laughs> One of the things I, I learned, I want to get back to it real quick, was when you do the, set it up, these clubs most of the time or the subscriptions, it's going to say, okay, you're getting this. It should tell you, okay, you're getting these three whites or these three, wet, these three reds next Friday. A lot of the clubs I, I saw, you can go in and say, okay, well, I don't like that one. Give me this one. Uh, I don't want three uh, whites this month. I, I'd rather four, you know, two whites this month. So that I think is a key thing to look for. Can you mm-hmm. edit what they're going to send you before they send it to you? Right. And a lot offered that, a lot didn't offer that. And like you said, even with the food, I'm sure they're going to say, well, the cheese, they're going to say, you're getting this cheese. Maybe you don't like cheap, but you want cow or something like that. Yeah. So When I've looked at cheese ones, you're, you're able to choose the yeah. type that you're looking for. But that's when you're talking about food products, 
it's very different from, oh, I got a skirt and a blazer that I don't really like, so I'm going to stick them back in the envelope and return them. You're not going to be able to return these items because they're food. So, you know, I think that that is one thing that makes these wine subscriptions and food subscriptions different from clothing or shoes or, you know, any other thing that that might be part of a subscription box. I was hoping a lot of the wine education groups would get into something like this where they include in their online class, okay, you're learning France this month, you're, you're going to learn Burgundy this week. These are the three wines we're going to ship you. You know, include wine because mm-hmm. all the classes I've taken online, I'm sure you've seen it too, Kim. It'll say this is the suggested wine list for this class. Let's go out and buy it, right? They should go to the next level off of the subscription so people don't have to do that. I think they would make a lot of money doing that. It's interesting you say that because I've seen wineries start to do that. So there'll be a, like a wine class or a virtual wine tasting that a winery is running because they can't open their tasting rooms right now. Right, so right. They'll, what they'll do is they'll send you, you know, for however, whatever the cost is, $100, $120, send you three or four bottles from their winery. And then at a certain point in time, everybody gets on on a Zoom call and maybe you have, you know, 50 people on there and you're all tasting the same wines together. So it's, you know, it's interesting that it, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of educational groups that are doing that, but wineries absolutely are starting to do that. Yeah, wineries, especially with what's going on today, they, they're adapting mm-hmm. greatly to trying to get their wine still out there and people interested in it. They're doing more and more, like you said, these virtual taste things. I think it's a great idea. And I think that's the wave of the future in the, in the wine world too. They have to adapt different mm-hmm. ways. Yeah, and we'll see what that adaptation looks like over the next year. I'm sure we'll see some innovative things that we hadn't thought of and that, you know, we were a lot of really smart people in our industry. And we'll see what happens and we'll see what comes. Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine, and we always welcome your questions and your comments, so please leave them on there. And happy drinking this week, and we will see you again next week. Cheers. Cheers.